Welcome to the Smart Connector, the podcast that helps entrepreneurs be the leader their ideal people love. Build your influence, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. Hello, everybody. It's Thursday night. This is the Connection Central strand of the Smart Connector podcast, and I'm delighted to welcome Kate Strong. Hello, Kate. Hi, pleased to meet you, and thank you for inviting me here. You're very welcome. Now, Kate's a very exciting person for our our guest tonight. She's a leadership coach. Um, She's a world champion triathlete a TEDx speaker and a podcast host. And so we have been having an amazing chat prior to tonight and we're going to just carry on talking, aren't we, Kate? You've got so so many interesting things that I know everybody is going to be um, very excited and interested to hear about. So let's let's just kick off, Kate. Um, you, You come from Wales, don't you? Yeah, I was born and bred in Wales till about 18, so I left. Yes, yes. Okay. And um, so how did you how did you go from a small town in Wales to become a world uh, world champion, a triathlete? And where, what, what was the, the defining moment that made you decide that you were going to step outside your comfort zone and just achieve something as amazing as that? Thank you. Um, wow, how long have you got? Uh, I wouldn't say I was born a world champion. I don't. I don't think any of us are. And as we said offline, I didn't. You know, throughout my years, I didn't have uh, living in Wales. I didn't have anything really to stand up for. I lived quite a comfortable life. My parents looked after me, and I was sent to university. So everything was pretty ticking along fine for what society expects from us. Mm-hmm. The reason I suppose I stepped up to be that world champion, though I didn't know in that moment when I made that decision, I would end up being number one in the world was in 2012 uh, when six days before my wedding of nine with my partner of nine years he left me uh, he didn't just leave me we were living in Australia at the time and we owned a couple of properties we also ran a business together so he left me with everything to run for myself and standing alone in Australia when all my family and friends had left for our non-wedding it was in that moment of isolation and despair because I, I was quite, I, I'm not the girl you see today. So he, you know, through those nine years, he'd actually slowly, slowly put elements of doubt in me about me not being good enough, not being pretty enough, not being intellectual enough, not not being able to cope by myself. Mm-hmm. And standing there borderline struggling with, with life, I just decided today is the only day I have, you know, and also today's the youngest day I'll be. So I have to start living for myself. Mm. And I started my brains thinking about what can I do for me? Not yeah. for work, not for the debt, not for, not for my parents, but just for myself. And I remembered 10 years prior to that, I wanted to do triathlon. And so I decided to aim for being an Ironman, which is quite, you know, the toughest iron or triathlon you can do. It's 2.4 miles swim, 112 mile bike ride, followed by lazy marathon. <laughs> wow. So, for me, it was just impossible to conceive, but I needed something big to counteract the negativity, the big negativity I had in my life. And so I just said to my friends, 
I want to do triathlon. I want to be an Ironman. I don't know how good I can be. So to find out my level, I need to aim for number one. So in order to be my best, I've got to aim to be the best. Mm. And so I just started to run. You know, I could barely run a mile. I was hideously out of breath. My legs would burn. I'd feel phlegm burning my throat as well as I started to run. Over time, I got to a level where I could, you know, compete at a certain level. And that's what sort of drew me to being a world champion was just this desire to recapture my life, if you want, to actually do something for me and just see how far I could go without the limitations of that negative chitter chatter from other people, but also within my own head as well. That is really, really amazing. And the thing is, you're you're still at it today, Kate, aren't you? You've got a, another challenge that you're working on at the moment that's even more exciting, if that's possible. Would you like like to tell everybody about that? Yeah, with pleasure. I mean, it's still, I came up with these ideas and I have no idea where they come from. And when I say it, I then look back and go, Kate, you know, next time, check these distances, check the craziness before you actually publicly announce it. In two years time, I'll be attempt, well, competing in the uh, roads, the, the world's toughest road race, which is 3000 miles coast to coast of America. I'm hoping to finish it in about eight days time in eight days and then two months after that I will be swimming the English Channel and it wouldn't be a true triathletes competition if I didn't add a third element so four months after that I will be attempting to summit Everest so no one in the world has ever done all three so it would be an actual world's first and great also for the world's first to be a female that's really incredible. Kate, have you got a documentary team following you? Because I think you really deserve it. Thank you. Yeah, um, I have actually teamed up with a uni friend of mine who is shooting a documentary about it. So That is yes. really, really exciting. Yeah. That, that is amazing. Um, and uh, please, can I come to the premiere? <laughs> yeah, that sounds, sounds great. So so over all, all that time, Kate, of really pushing yourself um, against your limits, and as you said, stepping outside of your comfort zone and doing something extraordinary what have you learned about yourself and about other people as well wow um what i've learned is if i if i feed the fear i'll do nothing I, i'm never gonna not feel afraid every morning like this morning i was on the bicycle for five hours i didn't want to do it i i need every day to stop you know feeding the small play and i'm not diminishing any size of life is is great mm. but i don't want you know, feeding my fears and feeding my feelings is just committing to something bigger. You know, we, we all heard the cliche of, you know, step outside your comfort zone, but we forget that outside of our comfort zone, it's very uncomfortable. Mm. So what I've greatly learned is just embrace that, embrace that most days I don't want to do what I'm doing, but I, I know that six months later, I will be so grateful for the moments of today when I, you know, completed those documents I didn't want to write or phoned those uh, say, uh, potential clients I didn't want to call or got on that bicycle to do that extra hour when I really didn't feel like it as well. So that's one big, you know, one of the biggest lessons I've learned that has really helped in all areas of my life, not just in that sporting arena. That's really, really amazing. And of course, that is is where leadership in business is it is about winning. Business is like, uh, it's competitive. It's a competitive arena. There are winners and losers, aren't there? 
and you do have to do a lot of things that other people well certainly as an entrepreneur that a lot of people wouldn't do because they find it too hard uh, they don't the prospect doesn't appeal to them they want to have an easy life or a comfortable life so what what would you say to um, give our listeners and our viewers a little bit of, of comfort if their lives have been have been quite hard recently because you know we're, we're in the middle of lockdown aren't we I mean it still hasn't really lifted everything's very uncertain and a lot of people have been struggling so what what message would you would you give them Kate? Yeah, and you know, it, it's really hard for all of us to live in this uncertainty. We don't know if lockdown is coming again. We have no idea the rules for next week, let alone next year. So it's really hard to plan for the future when tomorrow is so uncertain. Yes. And you know, uh, you know, I see some businesses thriving and others struggling, and it's sometimes nothing to do with the people or the company. It's just the way the world sort of the, the cards fell. So I mean. The, the words of advice I'd give is to bring some gratitude into our lives. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know in our dark moments, and this is coming from personal experience, we can't see why we should be grateful because all we're seeing are the bills mounting up and the income reducing. But there's got to be something, if only for waking up in the morning. If we, if we start adding that element of gratitude into our days, it does help soften those pains because when we're in a stressed environment, our, our potentiality for the what if thinking, the things that actually create the, the solutions, mm-hmm. we only see that general vision of fear. So by introducing gratitude, we're opening up more possibilities of us being innovative and finding alternate ways. So, you know, I always keep a gratitude journal. Every night I write down three things I'm grateful, grateful for. I, I really help. I really notice that helping me when I feel the spiral occurring, when I hear the in, you know the negative chatter starting. I can pull myself out quicker. It doesn't stop the voices, but at least it stops the fall and and keeps me there less times. So I can get back into action to yeah. really create what I need to. Yes, and I think I think what's interesting about that is if we set ourselves um, ambitious targets we were talking about this um, before we, we came on weren't we um we are obviously exposing ourselves to those uncomfortable feelings because we are going to be afraid we are going to bump up against our own perfectionism and of course there's the fear of fear of missing out and looking over our shoulder and seeing what other people are doing and there's so many uncomfortable feelings that come up when you start, when you start uh, set a target and actually start moving towards it, and a lot of people they just give up at that point, don't they, Kate? So, so this is a very interesting, uh, interesting topic. So, how how do you actually, um, as a sport, as a sporting uh, champion, how do you let go of that perfectionism? Because you know, being a world champion, it's all about being the best, isn't it? So. Is, is that a trap as well? Most definitely. And, you know, we, we talked about this offline earlier as well. And I, I'm really happy to share about the dark days as well. Because once I was world champion, where do you go? Once you're, once you're number, in the world, number one in the world, I found myself on a pedestal. And I realized I put myself there. And it was quite lonely. Mm-hmm. I felt I couldn't ask for help. I couldn't express my vulnerability. I couldn't express that I was nervous about the next race because everyone, oh, you're a champion, forget about it. Mm. And it, it was hard. And even if 
even if we're not world champions, because I still experience it today and I'm not that world record holder yet. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's about being open to criticism. It's about being judged, not just by ourselves, but sometimes our nearest and dearest. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's about having a really strong why, knowing in my heart my motivation. And we know whether we're doing it from a place of love and compassion and service or adding value to ourselves in the world, yeah. or if there's a little bit of you know negativity that's motivating us, the, the screw you kind of attitude. Um, so I do my best to know that I'm doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. If, if for whatever reason I offend someone, it it's not inevitable. I don't want to say that, you know, tough, suck it up sort of attitude. But we can't please everyone. You know, we we all have different flavors and tastes. Some people like the mountains, some people like the beach. Mm -hmm. We need to just get used to that word no and not add the stories or the energy behind it. No does not mean I'm a failure. No just means that person has said no as easily as they would say yes. So it's a lot of work. It's, it's easy to say, but it's a lot of work disconnecting from the meanings behind that. Mm. So behind, behind the physical that I do, yeah. I also make sure I do as much mental work as, poss as possible as well, which is cleaning up my past. Yes, I, I have a, a mantra of wanting to live a Teflon life, mm -hmm. which means... I don't, if you said something to me, I wouldn't be triggered by it. I wouldn't get all offended and nervous or hold myself back. So I'm always sort of delving into myself and introspection to make sure that whatever someone says, whatever, however someone reacts, I just listen to it for that first time and I don't have 20 or 30 past experiences that compound and make that one event or that one word much bigger than it should be. Mm. So... It's, it, it, I hope that answers your question, but oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really, really interesting because I think we often all have a, a running dialogue that's going on in our heads. And I sometimes catch myself doing this as well, which is really, it's the story that we're telling ourselves. And if, it, you know, it's just a human nature to do that. So we tell ourselves stories all the time about what other people's intentions are or what their thoughts are about us and uh, about what they think about us. And it's just, it's just human nature. And I think when you, when you are conscious of the fact that, uh, wait a minute, th this is just me telling myself a story and the chances are that uh, this isn't true. And to be honest, if I'm gonna entertain myself with a story, I may as well just entertain myself with a better story and a story that actually, no, they don't, they don't dislike me and think that I'm this, that or the other. Actually, they think I'm great. Why, why not? Why not tell yourself that story as well? <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it, the way our, our brains work. But sometimes we do need some help from the outside, don't we? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, albeit you see my competitions as solo, I have yeah. already a team of four five people behind me and that's going to grow to 20 or 30 people just to get me over the line so to speak so yeah we definitely need people to watch our back look at our blind spots and really support us along the way yes yeah so so let's move on to talking about your leadership work Kate so what, what what's your typical client uh, do you work one-to-one -one or do you work in groups or how how do you deliver your leadership training 
At the moment, it's one-to-one or in a small group if there are a group of directors that need to move a company forward. And it's it's very bespoke because I believe that everyone has different needs. We all have different personalities as well. And it's entirely up to the, the individual. So mm-hmm. I always say, I have no answers. You know better than anyone what your, comp- what your life and what your company needs. My job is to remove the dirt that's stopping you seeing what's within yourself, the block that's preventing you from tapping into your own knowledge. So mm-hmm. at the end of our sessions together or our time together, invariably they say, thank you, I don't need you anymore, which is wonderful because they're now experiencing what they knew, they always knew all along, but they just needed me to hold up that mirror for them to see as well. So I've worked with yeah a variety from tech businesses, uh, from dance studios, as well as startups, as well as uh, you know seven or eight figure, figure turnover companies as well. So I'm very blessed in the diversity, mm. uh, and it definitely keeps me on my toes as well because I I make sure that I'm I'm always not one step ahead, but I'm always evolving to make sure I'm the best person who turns up for them at the right time as well. Yes, yes, I understand that. So, what 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 would you say is the most uh, common issue that that you see time and time again? Is there one, or is there a set of, of issues? Um, the most common in is that they they need they think they need external uh, help or advice. They don't know what to do, mm-hmm. and nine times out of ten, they they know exactly what they need to do, but potentially are asking for permission potentially looking for someone else's point of view, but they know intrinsically what the right thing to do as well. So for me, it's about just giving them permission and space to believe themselves. I mean, there are other examples as well, but that seems to be the biggest point for me, that I very rarely do anything dramatic or amazing. It's purely just letting them have what they need to see within themselves and move forward with that. Excellent. So we've got some comments coming through, uh, Kate. So liking the discussion around narrative. Great. Yeah, that's lovely. Uh, Somebody uh, says, can you help me with my dance career? So, um, Kate, um, you've got you've got somebody who's very serious about dance that wants wants a little bit of impromptu coaching from you. What would you say to somebody that wants to be a uh, world champion, a world beating dancer? I don't know what kind of dance it is. You can let us know. But what what would you say? Advice? The simplest thing is to dance. Uh, you know, I've secured recently track as a sponsor for cycling, which is, you know, unheard of for such as, you know, I've got 1,500 followers. I'm, I'm a nobody in the world of social media. But I, I turn up every day and I post me cycling. And they like that I do this every day already before they gave me a bike. Mm. So... For anyone who wants to, you know, as a dancer, what I recommend is post you dancing, post that you love dancing, post the clothes that you want to wear by the and tag the brands you want to work with and the people that inspire you. And they will notice you because you're already giving before you're asking for receiving. Mm. And yeah, people just fall in love when they see why you dance and they'll naturally reward you that way. So, so that's my advice. Amazing. So they'll just pick up on your passion. They'll see your passion. And in a way, uh, as you said, if you're already promoting the brands that uh, align with you, then then you're you're giving them clues, aren't you? You're saying, actually, I'm your kind of a person. And so let's move on to a conversation about about sponsorship and about about brands. Do you have um, sponsors, Kate? Do you, do you have brands that uh, have aligned with you and 
and it's very early days for me so we've really started this campaign two months ago and just like everyone it's a very tricky time to be asking for for sponsors but trek have come on board which is as i said wonderful so they've given me a beautiful bike that i i'm able to train on and we are in negotiations with some other companies as well for for six figures so there is there is support out there as long as it's matched up with their values so i'm demonstrating their beliefs their values their ethics and making sure that we're in alignment so we'll see what happens but i'm very excited and as you said i've got the documentary and making sure there's as much value out there as possible for them to see why why i'm an asset not mm-hmm. an oliver twist <laughs> <laughs> that's right um so how do you um promote yourself then uh kate uh, uh, do you use any particular social uh platforms any more than any other or do you generally, um, I, I know obviously you've been a TEDx uh, speaker, so you, you've done some video stuff. So have you got a favorite uh, platform, a favorite way of actually promoting yourself and getting the message out? I use LinkedIn a lot, which is surprising because a lot of people don't think of that as sports. But if you think about the, the companies to be affiliated with, for, they're predominantly, predominantly on LinkedIn. But I also use Instagram because... For me, it's quite important to be visual. Yeah. But I, I'm also 41, so I hear TikTok is one of the biggest platforms to be on. I I can barely do YouTube, so I'm not going to get involved in TikTok. So that might be something interesting for someone else. I think TikTok is moving away from teenagers. That's what I hear because uh, in my circles, people do talk about TikTok a lot. And I think it's, for, for me, what I hear, I don't use TikTok myself because I just can't think of anything more embarrassing than kind of going on there. <laughs> but, well, it's really my children. They they, they just, uh, they don't want to see me on TikTok. They really don't. <laughs> but uh, but but I, I hear that, you know, TikTok and Instagram stories, they're, they're not really that different. They're all about entertainment, really, aren't they? And just kind of short bursts of visual creativity, really. So um it it's uh yeah i think it's a good it's a good platform and i think people are adopting it increasingly if they have a visual brand and particularly a performance related brand so i'm sure that you could do some really exciting uh exciting stuff with some cool edits on there so don't be too put off (laughs) yeah um okay so the another question i wanted to ask you uh kate is you you talk quite a lot about ethics and sustainability um and of course that is a very important uh, both of those are important issues but uh because my audience are mostly startups um, solopreneurs and small business owners what does sustainability mean in the context of a small business well first and foremost i want to say sustainability means profitability because if we're not making money the company won't exist and that's not sustainable Mm. so it's about owning it's owning the the right or the ability to earn money and make a profit at the end of the day so for me that's that's definitely has to be the bedrock yeah. and the more we can, guess what it magnifies our message and the more we can give yeah so yeah so that's very important but for me it's all you know there's a triple bottom line so we talk about for profit for people as well as for planet mm-hmm. and for solopreneurs it could be as simple as making sure that everyone within the organization earns a minimum certain figure mm-hmm. or 
difference between the highest and the lowest is a certain ratio. Mm-hmm. And for environments, how about cycling to work? I mean, we all work from home now, which is quite wonderful. But is there a way to move more off, offline meetings to online? Mm-hmm. And the, so, yeah, for solopreneurs, it doesn't have to be a huge shift in investing in large infrastructure and selling our cars and just getting, you know, eco-electric vehicles. But it's just about making that one shift every day and making sure that the community, the people we work with and for, our supply chain as well, are all honouring a certain balance, especially for individuals. So something I'm getting very passionate about at the moment is equality. So all of my staff, whether they work in the Philippines or the UK, are all on the basics, the same salary. So I don't differentiate between the rich countries and the poor countries. I make sure everyone's paid the same. So, Kate, um, I, I wanted to ask you about your sporting heroes and whether you have um, anybody in particular that you look up to or you use as a role model, either in sport or in business. That's a great question. I have been asked this before. And in honesty, that I admire, there isn't anyone I admire to the point of they're a role model to me. I, I started believing that every time I meet someone, it's my responsibility to find gold in that conversation. Because yes. every day, be them a mother, be them a beggar, be them a CEO, be them a world champion, we've all had 24 hours in one day and yes. experienced things that I will never experience. So for me, my role model is every person I meet. And I, I just hear that gold in the conversations while we're interacting. Oh, that's really nice. Um, so, so what inspire what what inspiring people have you met recently, and um, what have they said to you that's really that's really moved you? I spoke to a British-born Jamaican who was blind from birth, pretty much, and. He, he struggled a lot with adversity uh, throughout his entire life. Also, he was born into a single mother uh, family as well. And he really wanted to be a, a blind footballer and struggled so much to get on the English football team. And he just had a can-do attitude. He worked every single day to, to accomplish that. And what he feeds is his minority mindset. Instead of seeing... You know, he came from Wolverhampton, a poor socioeconomic family, not having a father figure, not being able to see. He saw them instead of as a a reason why he couldn't, as a reason why he should. So his minority mindset actually drove him to compete in not one but two Paralympic Games for for England and one of the top gold scorers as well. So that really pushed me hard. His name is Darren Harris. Uh, I really loved his can-do attitude, looking at every reason why we should rather than all the reasons why we couldn't. Mm, I love that. I I do remember once I was watching a documentary about these uh, children that lived on rubbish dumps. And I think it might have been in South America. It might have been in Africa. I can't remember where. But they were scavenging on these rubbish dumps. And that was basically how they how they found food. They wouldn't eat if they didn't scavenge it on the rubbish dumps. Mm-hmm. And they were happy and smiling. Now, I mean, I'm not saying they had happy lives, but uh, they they were there was one of them that was talking about his favorite football team, which was Liverpool. And he was beaming like from ear to ear. And I was just so moved. I thought, you know what, if you can find a smile living with that adversity, that is a very powerful lesson for all of us, isn't it, Kate? Yeah, definitely. 
my, my partner was made redundant a few months ago at the start of lockdown and that that obviously changed our dynamic quite a lot and we're quite a new yeah. relationship as well and we were, we were struggling with the scarcity mindset of oh gosh what if we lose this what if we lose that and one day I just sat down and said let's play a game so I just said imagine we come home from a, an evening meal and everything is burnt to the ground we know we we had a meal with all our friends and family so no one was hurt but everything we owned was burnt how do you feel now he's like relieved so I went well we should be relieved today because we still have our stuff yeah so I yeah, I play regularly the Imagine the House is Burning Down game to add that relief and gratitude back into my life as well. So maybe we could just do that regularly as, you know, not not actually, but pretend, set our house on fire in our minds and see how we feel afterwards. Well, that's right. If everything, if everything went, and I think in the uh, developing, in the developed world, uh, you know, living where we do, I think uh we we all have such a tendency don't we to compare ourselves to others i think particularly uh materially uh it's a very very materially competitive world and i think a lot of the time we've we've actually gone away from those uh spiritual values that were you know perhaps even our parents generation grew up with and um and and i think we do need to pull back from that at time time from time to time and actually remind ourselves about what really matters because what really matters to me is the impact that i make on other people because we can't take any of the stuff with us can we no exactly and you know what how can you press the smile on your children's face and it wouldn't be the fast car that puts the smile on their face. It's the connection, it's the interaction, it's the joy. So yeah, by focusing on the happiness, on the impact on others, that's what's important. Not, as you said, you know, having the next big house or keeping up with the Joneses, as we usually call it. Mm -hmm. So you, you talk about, uh, uh, about philanthropy, um, Kate. So what, what, what is it that you are passionate about in terms of causes? and uh you know giving back yourself yeah I, I love like as i said um after university because i went I, I did five years so i've got a double masters in engineering but that was to please my parents so once once they were satisfied i then said phew i can now live my own life uh so i went traveling around latin america so something i love is empowering i do give to charities but I'd love to have a world where no charities were needed because everyone's just doing the right thing. So I find the, as much possibility as possible to empower people rather than just you know giving my bit every month. So it, I started helping them create micro businesses from let, you know teaching kids how to freeze bananas to make popsicles to sell them to you know hungry tourists or letting a woman know that how she weaves her coats, she can also teach tourists how to make headscarves. So mm. I have a legacy. And these cost nothing for me, and it didn't cost anything for them either. But you know, charities or causes that I'm working at the moment are equality, bringing more awareness about, you know, especially in cycling, if we look online, we see a lot of men cycling, but we're the women. You know, there's a minimum wage for professional male cyclists, but not female you know this isn't fair and then if we add the really? yes yeah there's not it's not a compulsory status for professional female sports we still need a job if we want to be a pro cyclist really? yeah that's extraordinary isn't it i don't see how they can get away with that you how can you justify something like that that's blatant discrimination is it I mean, really <laughs> well there's a 
there was a great movie, I can't remember what it's called, I'll find out before the end of this documentary, but they interviewed the United, you know, the International Cycling Federation CEO, and this was in 2011, so I hope he's caught up, but he said, we'd love to sponsor them, but they're not good enough yet. And the response was, well, you need to invest in them, and that's why, because they're not earning the money to be able to be better. So it's a catch-22. But um, yeah, so I'm really passionate, as you can hear, about just generating opportunities. I'm not saying that all women want to be pro cyclists, but at least have equal playing fields. And also for different socioeconomic backgrounds. I, I've already said I'm very privileged that I had a bicycle when I was growing up, so I knew what a bike was. There are communities, yes. even in Wales and the UK, who just don't, just have never, never ridden a bike. So why on earth would they even consider doing a cycle? Wow, I mean that's really that's really amazing actually uh, to have whole communities that don't have not been brought up to ride a bike. I have never mm. living in the southeast. I I don't think I've ever seen that. Although I'm sure it's there if you went into into parts of London or some of the more deprived areas around London, I'm sure you would see that. But to me, just riding a bike is just such a uh, a sort of rite of passage for any child. But yeah. you forget, don't I mean you? Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I remember going camping in fields when I was younger. But again, if if your parents who lived in an urban metropolis and their parents lived in an urban building, they never taught their their children what to expect when going to nature. So they're wearing the wrong clothes. Their experience is terrible. So they don't like nature anymore. But that isn't because they're not they don't like nature. It's because they were wearing jeans and it was raining and it obviously is a horrible experience. So. <laughs> I'm doing my best to work with uh, teams who are actually educating the more, well, I don't like the word minorities, but they're basically non-white communities mm -hmm. to be able to be exposed to this more and make their own decision. Do they like hiking? Do they want to do this as well? Because they're not, they're not represented equally. And it's not because of a lack of need or want, it's because they just haven't got the tools or resources to learn either. Um, and I mean, maybe it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's not in their in their culture. But I mean, it's I think in this country, certainly we have such beautiful countryside and we have so many opportunities to get out there and enjoy nature. And of course, cycling is something where you, you, you can just get on your bike and you can, you know, you that's it. You can get into nature. You can enjoy it. You can feel the wind in your hair. And I, I mean, I don't do a lot of cycling myself, but. I remember that feeling, and it's a great feeling, isn't it, getting on a bike? Yes, and, it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So just to talk about cycling a little bit more, Kate, because um, one of the best documentaries I think I've ever seen was the one about Lance Armstrong and about that doping scandal in, in cycling. So that was a fascinating documentary. Why, why do you think he got in that deep well i haven't i haven't seen his his documentary in honesty but i have read a few of his uh, books and the books that surround it um i mean it's a multiple tiered question i mean there's a lot of pressure when you know when when people are at the top there's a lot of pressure to keep up there and maintain it yeah and sometimes the expectation is is inhumane it's not fair and we don't, you touched on this earlier as well, we, we don't build in that spiritual aspect. Some days we, our 100% is this big, it's a lot smaller, and other days our 100% is much greater. Yes. 
But for these elite athletes, 100% has to be this big every single time. No, no bad days, no bad hair days, no bad experience days. You have to turn up switched on every single time. So, you know, maybe they were expecting him to become a machine and, you know, he, he started to deliver. And, uh, and a fact that might interest you is one of the top five uh, professions for, unfortunately, for premature suicide in America is professional football players. Because, really? people, yeah, people morph their identity into being that athlete. Mm. So what do you do when you retire? You, you lose part of your identity. You know, Kate, I am a triathlete, but I'm also Kate Strong. I'm also a business owner. I'm also a partner. And there's so much more of us. Yeah. So when we get so attached to that one title, and we see it a lot of in retirement too, there's a potentiality of losing ourselves as well. So I, I think Lance also, I mean, psychoanalyzing him from far, was, he was too attached to that title. Mm. He couldn't Lance as a success without being that you know, winner as well. And it led to him abusing the rules, unfortunately. And I feel for them too, because they'll never get recognized. You know, they might take away his medals, but we don't know that person's name. And they genuinely deserved it those years as well, unfortunately. And and they did work for it and they did train for it. But of course, he'll they, they only once they get caught, then they're only ever remembered as being a cheat, which is a shame, isn't it? It really is. But as you said, it's probably all to do with the with the pressure and that kind of relentless drive to stay at the top. And I think that was very much what it what it was for him. And of course, what yeah. happened is he dragged everybody else down with him because because they were all at it. They they he because he was the leader of the of of the whole team. So they he said, well, you all, we all have to do this. We all have to go and you know get get this new blood and <laughs> do do all of that every time we go out and and compete. And it's fascinating, really, the psychology of the whole the whole thing. And of course, as you said, there there are so many parallels, aren't there, with with business because business is very competitive. We we can put ourselves under huge pressure. At times, um, it can feel like like we're doing a, ma a marathon. Oh, that like we're going for the uh, you know world championship. Sometimes it, we're climbing the mountain. Sometimes it can feel like that. I think particularly in the early stages um, yep. of building a business. I mean, it gets easier if you make the right decisions, if you stick with it, and you're consistent, and you keep on showing up and doing the right thing. You know, month after month, year after year, and then it starts to get easy, and it starts to build momentum, and you manage to systemize all of those those things that you were doing in the early days but i i really take my hat off to every single startup and small business owner who is trying to get something bigger off the ground and actually be their equivalent of a hero or a world champion takes a lot doesn't it kate it totally does Jane. and you know also it's hard to say no to clients as well at the start even though we know match our values or we know we're compromising some element of our own ethics by working with them and it's you know it's easy for us to just say oh just this one you know I'll just work with this company and turn a blind eye but next one will be more green or more ethical or more sustainable so you know it does take a lot of courage to scan true to our values and um, you know this is without judgment because we've all made 
decisions in the past that we may not do today, but it's about making sure that you know we stay as close to ourselves as possible because we're with us 24 seven. We're not with those clients every day. We have to live with ourselves. So it's making those decisions and those tough calls to say no in the face of scarcity, in the face of that fear and losing out potentially. That's how we see it sometimes as well. Definitely, definitely. So Kate, um, tell us, tell us our, um, how we can get hold of you. If any of our viewers or our listeners um, want to get in touch, what's the best way to do that? I'm very social, so my website is katestrong.co, that's it, no M, no UK, and I'm on LinkedIn as Kate Strong, Facebook, I've got my own YouTube channel and a podcast as well called Strong Voice. Okay, that's great. Well, Kate, I just wanted to thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been an absolutely amazing interview, a fantastic discussion on sportsmanship and world championship and leadership and all of those topics that are just so interesting. So thank you very, very much uh, for joining us tonight. And um, we'll look forward to seeing you, seeing your progress. Thank you so much, Jane. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And yeah, definitely I'll keep you updated and also to hear about yourself as well. Amazing. All right then. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Smart Connector podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not head over to janebaylor.com and order a copy of my free report on building your personal brand. I'd love to connect with you on social media. And finally, don't forget to like and subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss a show. Thanks for listening in and see you soon.